Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology both in our context and beyond. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us for uh, what is going to be an, an interesting episode, <laughs> and uh, an episode where uh, we'll get into some some matters that hmm. people are, are talking about, sometimes without realizing they're talking about um, exactly um, what biblical theology might or might not be concerning having children. Hmm. Um, so we are going to be talking about what is often called the cultural mandate in today's episode. And uh, the cultural mandate can be found in Genesis 1, verse 28. And so just to get started, I actually want to read from hmm, what this verse place. says, and uh, we will talk about how we interpret it as Reformed pastors in the 21st century. There's much misunderstanding of what this verse might mean in, in various um, areas of Christianity, and if certainly outside of the church as well. So um, we're, we're sort of excited to, to cover this topic. Uh, so Genesis one twenty eight says, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And um, again, this is, is often referred to in theological circles as the cultural mandate. Be fruitful and multiply is often the way that it's also uh, kind of summarized. And then with that comes a, uh, a dominion over creation, the world that God made. And uh, we're going to talk about what that means, what it might mean for family planning, what it means for how we engage culture. Um, but... Uh, Overall, these are, we have to recognize, important matters that uh, a Christian needs to think about and know more about, probably. Yeah, it's a, there's an interesting connection between these two commands here, or at least two commands, uh, where God says, be fruitful and increase in number, that being the first command, and the other is, fill the earth and subdue it. Yeah. Uh, and so he's saying, essentially, be fruitful, have children, procreate, uh, and then fill the earth and subdue it. So there's a purpose. There's a calling and a purpose or a reason for this calling. So this very quickly gets us into the discussion of what is the telos of having children. Yeah. Uh, before we get into uh, all the rest of this episode and and getting into the, the nuance of everything, it's good to think about why Christians have children. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a purpose in having children. Uh, and that purpose, of course, yes, is to love them. It's to enjoy them and to be blessed by them. Uh, but it's also to bless them, to to raise them, to rear them, form them as much as we are able as parents. Of course, we're not the only mm. influences in their lives, but it's to uh, to prepare them for life beyond the home. And it's to not raise children so much as it is to raise adults, to raise mature adults who are uh, capable human beings who can go out into the world and 
be a force for good and a Christian understanding of the word good, of course, uh, but to, to be people who live on purpose, who live to see God's kingdom being built among them. And so we have children for the sake of the world, uh, not just for our own pleasure, our own joy, our own fulfillment, so we can post pictures on Instagram, <laughs> yeah. uh, but we have children for a for a very large uh, vision, a very large reason, and I think it's good to start there. Yeah, we can bring glory to God through raising children who are going to be followers of Jesus. Um, now, yeah. of course, we can't, like you said, manufacture that and guarantee that um, all our children are going to follow the Lord throughout their life, um, even that, that they would be born again and saved. But at the right. same time, it is part of the purpose of having children, um, that we would have that hope that mm-hmm. uh, these children are going to bring glory to God throughout their lives and uh, be a blessing to, to other people. They'll be um, a part of fulfilling the cultural mandate in the positive sense. I think that sometimes when people would hear fill the earth and subdue it, they think in the sort of the domination yeah. sense, like right. like you're going to be in charge of everything and um, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Whereas uh, I, I always interpret that passage to mean more caretaking. Yeah, so, stewarding. Yeah, to, to go out and, and love and pay attention to other people, to study psychology and bless people as mm. uh, therapists and to study business and to create businesses that are going to be a blessing to the world. And you could go through any field that the Lord approves of in, in terms of an occupation and say, that could be the fulfilling of a cultural mandate where people would serve the Lord by um, creating good things, um, by being creative, just like God made yeah. us to be. So. Yeah, and some people may be listening to this wondering why we're even touching on this yeah. subject. Um, and I think one of the main reasons is because it's not just us who have noticed it, it's it's many people yeah. who have noticed that there is a real decrease in... Uh, the population and in birth rates, um, not just inside the church, but outside it, of course, as well. Actually, numbers are pretty clear that outside the church, there is far less birth taking place mm. than there is inside the church. Um, but this is a serious issue. This is an issue that needs to be addressed and thought about uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, but one of those reasons, I think, is simply just because we are not replacing people who are dying with with children who are being born. Uh, this is not just a problem for us as Christians. This is kind of a problem uh, for the world in general. This leads to lots of different societal pains and, and issues uh, that begin to crop up over time. Um, not enough you know, young people to take care of the elderly as they're aging and dying. Um, not enough people to staff different uh, parts of the economy, mm-hmm. um, not enough workers, there's not enough money, to taxes to be taxed so that people can be taken care of into their elderly years, uh, not enough money to, or not enough people, sorry, to to have a stable military, all sorts of, of issues. Um, there's probably far more than that, that I could list if I really sat here and thought, very, very deeply about it, but there, mm. but there's all sorts of these issues that 
that crop up as a result of this. And so we need to think about why even have, should we even have this conversation? Yeah. Uh, some of the numbers in all of this are really interesting. We, we read uh, an article from Kevin DeYoung, and it's posted on First Things, and the c- article is simply called The Case for Kids. It's a helpful mm-hmm. article, and he gives some interesting numbers about um, the rate of, of uh, procreation, the rate of, of uh, the replacement rate, you could call it, um, he basically says, and this is just the way I could dumb it down for anybody who's never even heard of these issues before, would be to say that we need to have, on average, according to sociologists, uh, 2.1 children for every woman in every nation. Mm. Um, and so, of course, we can't have 2.1 children. You can only have two or three. <laughs> um, but that's an interesting number. 2.1, that's just to replace the population that, that is dying. There's always people who are dying. There's always people who are being born. And it's quite clear from the numbers we can see that there are far more people dying in our world than there are people who are being born, especially in certain nations yeah. with certain cultures. Especially in Asia. Yeah, yeah in Asia, the Asian rate, so it needs to be 2.1 children per for every woman. Um, the Asian rates are quite low among the lowest in the world and so he points out in the article that hong kong macau which is near hong kong it's the formerly portuguese um, city state uh, singapore and taiwan all of these these small regions have a replacement rate of 1.0 so they're about half less than half where they where they need to be uh, Korea is 0.78. Japan is 1.37, so a little bit better. China is 1.70, which is uh, better than, than the others of Eastern Asia, but this is decreasing steadily, he points out. Um, and so that's that's an interesting thing to notice. But he also points out how in Europe uh, things are not a whole lot better. Um, and so he points out for Italy, which is the lowest nation in the world, uh, a full-blown large nation, you could say. It's 1.22, so that they have not enough children. Even in our United States, he points out that the the rate is 1.73. It may be a little bit higher. These are hard hard numbers to know, he he does Mm. point out. But it's just interesting to think about how our population is decreasing and will continue to to decrease should nothing change. And so these are this is going to create issues in our society, in our economy, in our day-to-day lives as human beings. And so it's something that the church should think about and should try to yeah. work to collectively to do something about. Yeah, especially given that scripture speaks to this very very pointedly. Um now, does it speak to every nuance and every variable that could possibly come up? Um, no, it doesn't quite do that, um, yeah. although many of the variables are covered in Scripture. Um, infertility, of course, being being mm-hmm. one is a, is a great theme of the Old Testament and New Testament. There is some of that, of course, as well with mm-hmm. Zechariah and Elizabeth. So um, it, I, I think you did a great job in, in laying out the practical side of it but um we also want to think about the theological side totally yeah. and um and in in a sense we're going to really start with the theological so that the practical will will basically reveal itself where mm-hmm. where a, a, 
a family, a husband and wife or, you know, grandparent who's thinking about how to talk about this with their, their or a, an adult parent with, with married children, you know, the, the, these conversations will come up about having children and so yeah. forth. Um, so how, how can we think about this maybe in a more theological way so that the practical side kind of the solution presents itself. Um, now, I think these numbers reveal that there is massive catechesis happening throughout the world on why or why not people should have children. So it's happening in Amer- broader American culture. It's certainly happening in European and Asian culture. Um, people are being catechized, not formally, but um, constantly informally catechized mm. in what it means to have children and what that will mean for their life. I, I would say the overall, um, uh, so the catechism is a question and answer, right? The question would be, should I have children? And the world's secular catechism will answer the question, not if you want to prosper. Yeah. Not if you want to be prosperous, and if you want the things, and if you want the exact life that you are going to want to have, you certainly should not have a large family if maybe having children at all. Yeah. The purpose of, of existence really comes into play here. Yeah. What is the purpose of existence? In our world, especially as our world becomes more globalized and it becomes uh, very Western in its outlook, even you could, I think you could argue that a lot of Eastern Asian countries are more and more becoming in touch with the Western world, Western values. Yeah. Um, a lot of this comes back to, maybe this is just because I'm not well-read, but I think it comes back to expressive individualism, um, which is talked a lot about. We've talked about it before, Carl Truman and others who have written about this uh, We see life as about being personally fulfilled uh, and being who we are on the inside, and we can see children very, very mm-hmm. often as barriers to that. Uh, they prevent us from living the life we want to live, and the w- life we want to live really doesn't have so much of a place for children. Um, children are messy. Children and, are demanding. You know, it's like right. there's all that reality that it, I guess it's good that people at least recognize yeah. that it's a responsibility and a weighty thing to have kids. But yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that this is part of the reason why a lot of people want to have one or two children because they see them as a means to a, to more personal fulfillment, not as a way of blessing the next generation. Uh, they're not. They ex- they have children more so for themselves than they do for the sake of the children themselves. Or the world. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And so children become an accessory Mm. uh, to personal fulfillment and not a way of simply blessing them as human beings, fellow human beings. And so, yeah, this, this is part of the issue. There's, this is a multifaceted problem and we're just really scratching on the surface, I think here. Um, Yeah. We can talk about, one of the things that makes this hard to to deal with is there are there are we talk about the double ditch a lot on on our ep- <laughs> yeah. on our episodes and th- this is one of the ultimate matters where there are ditches on both sides of totally. this conversation and so um maybe for those who are listening who are newer to the the show um this idea is um the straight and narrow path is is of course the the way that the lord would want us to go and and it's not as though there's just one way to err here. Um, 
so there's the ditch on one side of this issue, which would be out of out of sensitivity, maybe oversensitivity to people who can't have children or who are struggling with infertility. It's wrong for us to say, to quote Genesis one twenty eight and say, be fruitful and multiply, yeah. because there are people who are hurting, people who want children, and to say that a, a, a family is a good thing or even a big family could be a good thing for people is to make them feel... Um, is to sort of bind their consciences in, a, yeah, in an unhealthy way. And so therefore, the ditch on that side would be, so we're just never going to talk about it. We're never going to, to recognize um, the cultural mandate to have children because there are those people who want children or, you know, in our church, uh, people who have lost children, um, people who have, because, because of various physical issues, and um, they just can't have kids. And so... Um, we we feel for them certainly, and that is as a story of Hannah would suggest in in the Old Testament, First Samuel one. That is a heart rending, uh, very difficult matter for people to deal with. And so, out of sensitivity to them, some ministers and churches will make the error to say we therefore cannot encourage uh, childbearing really a- among married couples. So that's that's one error. The other error we also have to recognize is where churches make family life into an idol and they they therefore bind the consciences of those those families couples that have no children or one or two children who have smaller families making them feel less than because they don't have four or five or six kids um, and so that's the other error that we would want to avoid in this conversation is the call to be fruitful and multiply is not, a command that every woman must be married and every man must be married and have children, you know, um, no matter what it takes, no matter sort of, you know, wisdom be damned, we're, we're, going, we're going to have four or five or six kids because that's just what the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. I think yeah. we, that's an extreme example, but I think a lot of people do feel that pressure in churches to have a large family in our context, that's probably a little bit more the case where we're um, really a rural, suburban-ish context, um, more traditional values. I think there probably is that pressure to have a large family, and I would guess that maybe unmarried people or married couples with no children, one or two kids, would feel pressure, un- undue pressure, um, that is sort of cultural. And we wouldn't want this conversation to to bind their conscience, making them feel like they're doing something wrong by not having a great big family. Yeah, it's probably a good thing that there is no biblical prescription for exactly yeah. how many children we have. Right. Uh, we've made the case, or we're making the case following DeYoung's article, that apparently 2.1 children is the magic number to replace, <laughs> right? Just for the re- replacement of the human population. Mm. Uh, the Bible doesn't say you should all have 2.1 children, though. Yeah. Um, and so because there is no biblical prescription, praise the Lord, I would say, uh, we cannot say to anybody that you must have a certain amount of children, um, or even, we, I don't even think we can say you must have children. Mm. That would be a problem. Yeah, yeah. You, I think we should, though, remember that historically Christians have understood that part of marriage means the openness to having children. Yeah. Procreation is a reason for marriage. Um, 
It's not just a mystery pointing to Christ and the church. It's not just for companionship and for mutual edification. It is also for procreation. It is the place where human beings are created. Hmm. Uh, It's the context that God has provided and given to us uh, so that we may have children and raise them well in a home with a mother and a father. Uh, But we cannot give anything too specific on what Christians must do. To do so would even err into the idolatry of family. Um, There's plenty of people who not only cannot have children because they are physically unable, uh, but there are people who are not married. Uh, You are not not less of a Christian. You are not not fulfilling your purpose because you're not married and not having children. Uh, The point of the Christian life is not to have children. Mm. Um, <laughs> that 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 needs to be said very clearly. I think I, I was just listening the other day to uh, sort of a similar podcast to ours in some ways, the Messy Reformation podcast, um, and they had Peter Rockhold from the CRC. Oh, yeah, Peter Rockhold is a well-known in the CRC voice simply because he himself is same-sex attracted. He's a pastor, and with qualifications is a advocate for the HSR. Um, I emphasize that with qualifications. He, he does talk about his stance on the HSR in this episode I listened to. So if you want to check it out, you yeah, can. It's good to but he reminds us of not making an idol of the family. Um, and that, that's a really good thing to remember. Uh, the family is an important part of the church. Uh, the family structure is an important part of society at large. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say about families. Uh, but it need not be said that Christians must be uh, mothers and fathers and have have children. Uh, there are going to be many Christians, who, some who are same-sex attracted, some who are opposite-sex attracted, mm. uh, who are not married. And so our, this conversation needs to make room for that as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, this is, I think about my own kids, you know, and how <laughs> we talk about their future. Yeah. And what it might look like for them to be grown up one day. And our approach with them is is to encourage that marriage is really wonderful. Yeah. And it is a it is a great blessing if our daughter could find a husband and our sons could find wives who are going to help them follow Christ and be a blessing to them. And also within that, if the Lord blesses them with children how wonderful that is and how um, when God blesses a marriage with fruitfulness in the, in, in the, the literal sense of, of producing more life, um, that's just a, a wonderful thing. And so the, part of the reason we talk about it in that way is to encourage the goodness of it in, in keeping with Genesis one twenty eight without making it into an idol. And so yeah. um, we could say many there are many good things that, people don't have and it's okay like marriage for example there it's it's perfectly biblical even and even good that some remain unmarried the bible says clearly um but what we want to guard against also is that selfish motive for not being married or not having kids yeah and so um i think that in in this conversation we need to recognize that 
for many, this is a hardship, like uh, thinking of a married couple that doesn't have kids and desperately wants them. That's a hardship yeah. for them. Um, and yet, for many others, they would be a married couple and does not have kids for selfishness, yeah. um, that they need to search their hearts and ask, is it really our own personal comfort or maybe a more consumeristic attitude towards children themselves that would be preventing us towards having kids or having a larger family? So um, you, uh, listeners can probably tell listening to this episode, this is, we're sort of dancing around a little bit here because <laughs> yeah. there are, well, there are so many different variables and and totally. we, we would want to say in accordance with scripture, having children, getting married and having children is generally speaking, a good thing, doesn't have to be a good thing for every single person, but it is a great blessing. Yeah. Um, and any married couple, especially a young married couple, should have an openness to having fruitfulness in their marriage uh, based on what the Bible says. Yeah. So what that means exactly, is it, if it means adopting, if it means having biological children, if it means, um, you know, if there's infertility issues, investing a ton of your time into raising up children in the church, having spiritual children, you might say. Yeah. Um, these are all certainly ways, I would say, of fulfilling the cultural mandate. Yeah, I think the aim, the simple aim of this episode is that we w simply want to present and argue that the Bible's general witness about the blessings that children are should be a should be a posture that Christians maintain. Uh, hmm. I think it's very easy in our world, as we've said, we've pointed out already many times, that it, it, often children are seen as a burden, burden and not a blessing. They're seen, seen as uh, some thing, something that holds us back, uh, something that prevents our lives from being uh, as, as they should be. Or often today in our world, they're seen as being... Uh, a burden to our physical earth and so we should we, we're doing our our good virtuous civic duty by not having children by not adding more of a burden on our environment uh, and so mm, yeah not having children is seen as a moral good more and more uh, which is interesting um, yeah it's so almost like being a vegetarian or something yeah, it's right, like right. Uh, a way that you're contributing to um to the good of society by yeah. by not doing that bad thing, right? Yeah, and so simply, I, I think we what we want to get at is that the Bible very clearly, Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout, speaks highly of the family, speaks highly of children, it speaks highly of uh, of having children mm. uh, and raising children. Uh, it talks about. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, a common theme that recurs again and again is that of barrenness and the inability to have children. That is seen as a curse, whereas today, that, that not having children is seen as a blessing uh, by many. Um, and so, and even a virtue, yeah, that people would exactly. seek, yeah. yeah. And so things have been somewhat reversed, um, and so and, and it becomes a, a consumeristic thing. I think we have to mention at least shortly that birth control can has changed the way we think about yeah. about children um, and this isn't a I'm not critiquing birth control entirely uh, but it's changed the way we see children we see them as as a uh, 
something we can just have whenever we want them or not have whenever we don't. And so uh, that has co- sort of created a consumeristic mm. model towards children. Um, and that, I think, has been harmful in many ways as well. Yeah, the, the way that purity culture kind of has communicated to teenagers, don't get pregnant. Yeah. Don't do it. It's bad. Don't You don't want to get pregnant. That would be yeah. the worst thing for you. Um, and so, therefore, it's, it's almost like starting from that meta-truth they backtrack into so therefore use protection or don't have sex and abstain <laughs> uh, you know it, it's yeah. like a it, it's at a crazy even this happens in christian circles um it's it's a bad theological um way of communicating to kids that it, it, yeah. what, what it's telling kids this is what i was taught pregnancy is a bad consequence of sex yeah and so well, yeah. <laughs> we're we're laying in the the bed that we made now, basically cult- culturally. Yeah. Um, so that uh, is birth control permissible for Christians? Well, as Reformed believers, we we believe it would be permissible, but mm-hmm. should never be used with the thought that a bad consequence of the sexual activity of a married couple would be to have a, ch- a child. Yeah. Um, and that birth control has really. Uh, prompted not not entirely by itself prompted that shift in thinking Mm -hmm. and just thinking of how opposite that is from the biblical view of the blessing of children um psalm 127 verses three through five that's sort of the quiver the famous quiverful passage (laughs) yeah um you know the sons are a heritage from the lord children are a reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. And so um, very clearly there in Psalm 127 and all throughout the Bible, um, when the Lord blesses sexual activity with a new life, that is that is a blessing. Um, and I think Christians need to go there far more often. And, and this is, again, something that we're trying to communicate to even our own children as they're starting to grow up is to say, Sex is a good thing, and yeah. a a blessing, a blessed result of sexual activity would be to have a child. Yeah. Um. That that's even saying that sounds very not evangelical, actually. Uh. In some ways, I think, especially in thinking about how to talk with mm-hmm. children and high schoolers about these things. Yeah, because we again we place so much shame on having a child, or it's a burden to have a child. Yeah. So don't do it. I've even heard some people r- refer to children as the worst STD, which is like oh my really goodness, horrendous holy language. cow! Um, but in some ways, I think it it may be true that they often are thought of in such a way that are just this burden, they're just thing this thing you really don't want to get as a revolt result of sexual relations, and so that is that is a really significant thing to point out, and that stays with people, right? And so. Yeah. It, is there a season in a you know twelve to twenty year old's life where it would be better for them not to have children? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Wisdom would dictate that that would right. be true, and right. especially in our culture, where yeah. really you're not going to be working and being able to support a child until you're twenty, twenty two, twenty four years old. Yeah. Um, and so, is, does wisdom dictate that it would be better for them to abstain from sexual activity? In that season of their life, yes. However, the teaching that we do for young people stays with them, and um, yeah, and, right. and I can't help but think that 
in telling young people, don't get pregnant, don't do it, um, will, you know, it, it's bearing fruit in, in, in yeah. later generations. It miscommunicates. Yeah. Yeah, this is why it's, it's, I mean, I say this as somebody who does not have children. Interesting wrinkle in the conversation, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I have four, just so for those who are interested. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I sort of think, well, yeah, when I do have children, you know, it's easy for me to say all these things. I would love to teach them, yeah, the val- the goodness of their body, yeah, not to be right. ashamed of their body. Um, I'd love to teach them the goodness of sex, the goodness of having children, uh, and so as to create an excitement about it all and a, val- a true value for their body and for the goodness of sex to not see it as a bad thing. Because I think you're right, especially those of us who've grown up, I don't know, in the late 20th century evangelical milieu, uh, it was quite commonly presented that sex is bad, getting mm-hmm. pregnant is bad, don't do it. Um, and I think that also has created a, a sort of frame of mind that thinks that children are something I should have when I'm perfectly ready. When yeah. all my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted in my life. We've got the savings account. I got all, everything you know, all yeah. perfectly ready yep. for them. And so now they can come. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's tempting for me, even as somebody who has yet to have children. I've been married for uh, a little over two years. Um and so people may be wondering, well, when are they coming? Yeah. They're supposed to be coming soon. It could be <laughs> tempting for me to think, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for them. It's going to be a huge impact on my life. But then I realize nobody's ever ready yeah. for nobody's ever ready for marriage perfectly. Nobody's ever ready for children perfectly. This isn't by any means a way of saying just jump into it. But right. you kind of have to realize that, yeah, I'm not going to have all my my life all perfectly in order. Uh, for them to come. Such a a destination doesn't exist until the eschaton. Um, And so there has to be some, some, some trust in the Lord, uh, just knowing that he will provide and give what is needed. Uh, And I look back on my life and I see how he has done that for me. And so that increases my trust as I look ahead into the future as well. Yeah. And as as we start to wrap up, I, I want to confront this uh, very pernicious mantra that I wouldn't bring a child into this world. Oh, um, yeah. Again, we talk about secular catechesis, and I think that's, that's definitely a prevailing idea in the secular world that also is, is making inroads in the church. I, I, totally. I wouldn't bring a child into this messed up, sad world where there's war and tyrannical despots and covid and um there's this um to me is the opposite of how a christian needs to think and so uh, yep <laughs> if we want to get maybe a little bit theological uh for a moment i was reading through uh herman bovink in preparation for for this episode and um didn't find right away uh, much that he had to say about the Genesis 128 cultural mandate specifically, but one of his great themes in the Reform Dogmatics is this three-word mantra, which I think is a much better one, that grace restores nature. Mm. So grace restores nature. God is, um, after sin entered the world, restoring the the world, not just individual people, not just saving people to pull them out of the world so that they might go to heaven one day, but mm-hmm. God is 
uh, of course, through Christ and through the working of the Spirit in the church, um, restoring creation. And so the Christian should have that mentality even in having children. And, and here's what yeah. I think that looks like. Um, it, it means that I want to bring children into this world because I'm praying they're filled with the grace of Christ, the wisdom of God, the First Corinthians says the mind of Christ, that they may discern spiritual things and, and be a blessing to other people. In, and these, these children will be, in, in some small way, God's change agents in the world, blessing the world. Mm-hmm. So thinking of that is the total opposite way of saying, I'm not going to bring a child into this messed up world because the, the world is going to mess them up. No, yeah. the Christian thinks opposite. My children, hopefully, and, and, and I pray, are going to bless the world. Yeah. And, and so it recognizes there's sin in the world. It recognizes that, that nature, um, speaking generally, uh, not just the you know nature as in terms of going to Yosemite or something like that. Nature, the, the world around us, is in need of restoration, and I want my four kids to be restorers, uh, to be filled with the grace of Christ, who are going to go into the world and and be a blessing. Yeah, this fits right in line with the call of Abram in Genesis yeah, 12. Absolutely. Uh, where God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, or he says in verse 2 to Abram as well, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Yeah. Maybe that's the simpler uh, way of, of understanding it here is that, yeah, we, we, we have families and those families are a part of how God is restoring nature. Uh, they're a part of the story. I, th- I think in, as you bring up that point, that people think like that, which is true, how could I bring a, wor- a life into this world? Um, how could I bring a, a young one into this so dark world? It's so defeatist. It's very defeatist, and yeah. I think it works really well, particularly if you are a very dispensational mm. Christian. Interesting. And you have a quite pessimistic outlook on the fate of the world, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think, and again, in a very individualistic view. Like, yeah. I don't want my and my family to yeah. suffer in this world. To suffer through this. Yeah. It's a dark, dark world. Then why did why did Christ come to die and to save to save people from this world? Why did why is his kingdom being built here if it's all go, going to hell in a handbasket, as they might say? Uh, I just yeah, it's very defeatist. I don't I don't think it it captures any of the hope of the Christian faith at all. Um, yeah, the world is a is a hard world. Life is difficult. Uh, there are things that will traumatize human beings until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be horrors and there will be pains, but Christ is king. The light is shining. The kingdom is being built and it's extended. Darkness is being vanquished, and your children may very well live to see much more of that than you. And so this yeah. should be an encouragement to you that the world does not get far worse. It will get better. Maybe my post-millennialism is shining through here. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, it, it's like uh, Paul says in Romans, uh, I, I, and I will soon crush Satan under your feet. Yeah. So he says that to, to the church in Rome. Um, yeah. We, we want to be raising up kids who are courageous and faithful and part of that um, that work of not just serving Christ, but, but being a blessing. I, hmm. uh, what if Jonas Salk's mother had thought, well, it's a sad world with with um, all these diseases, and so I'm not going to have any kids. Well, obviously, 
she has a child who discovers a great a, a great vaccine that that's going to you know change the world mm-hmm. um the wesley family was was a very poor family and uh, john and charles wesley um you know had this mother susanna wesley a great hero in christian history uh, um, and, yeah. and, and in a lot of ways kind of a um, a prototypical christian matriarch you know a great yeah. leader in her in her home and and, and a great uh mom to her children her her sons go on to um to bless the world in, in countless ways through oh, yeah. uh, beginning the Methodist denomination and being a part of the abolitionist movement and so forth. And, and so um, to have that defeatist attitude is, is so antithetical to our Christian way of thinking. Um, now, I, I don't think that it means the opposite, that, well, we should just have kids and just be, you know, happy-go-lucky about all the great things. They're going to be history makers and world changers i i think that no they that, probably won't be yeah and that's um that's maybe too glib of you yeah. of of the the struggles that they're going to have i mean you need to read revelation and recognize hmm. um life in the last days is requires what what um revelation says uh, requires great endurance and patience on the part of the saints so hmm. um to raise up christian warriors you know in, in yeah. a way um, not not in the literal sense but but to go into the world to be a blessing well that's psalm 127 again yeah like yeah. arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth the, the, their their arrows they are made for a purpose sure. uh, and that purpose extends just the bow it goes beyond the bow it, it goes out and it affects something yeah. and so we have children for the sake of the world yeah. um, and for the sake of God's kingdom not again that, that having children is building God's kingdom but they are those who get bear witness to it in their own generation and maybe uh, maybe one more thought before uh, I was gonna I, have one more thought. <laughs> sorry this will be my last thought so um, <laughs> is that uh, there we talk a lot about decline in the Christian Reformed Church and it was recently mm-hmm. noted that, well, people are just having less kids. So that's just how things are going to be. Yeah. And it, it was, it was um, it, whenever that's talked about, and I've, I've heard it talked about in various forums, it's just a given. That's just how culture is now. People have less kids yeah. than they did in the 1940s and 50s. So there's no need to and speak so, to it. And so, therefore, we need to do ministry different or something like that. And so part of the purpose of this episode is to say, we don't really think it should be a given that yeah. that every family will just expectantly have zero, one, or two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, again, don't want to bind the consciences of families that are smaller, um, right. but at the same time want to encourage people to be open to um, the fruitfulness and multiplication that the Lord wants to do through their, their marriage. Yeah. So uh, that, that's maybe a little... Um, response to that 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 finding that their people are just having fewer kids i Mm -hmm. I don't want to just accept that based on what genesis 128 says and how we should think about having children yeah i think that fits well with then with what i was going to say my final thought which again is attributed to de young's article Mm -hmm. which we should put in the show notes so people can click it easily uh, but he, he sort of finishes up towards the end of his essay asking the question, well, how many kids should Christians have? Mm. And he kind of says that kind of tongue-in-cheek, almost as a joke. Um, but he says, you know, it's probably somewhere between more than two and 
more than you think you can have, uh, <laughs> more, more than you feel like you'd be comfortable with. Um, I, I think the, that's an interesting answer, um, which I'm fairly well persuaded of. I don't, I mean, maybe more than one <laughs> or more than zero. Maybe we can start the number on the low end a little bit sooner than two, but I, I think it's probably right to say, yeah, maybe more than you think you feel comfortable with. It, mm. it very well may stretch you and it may hurt a little bit, but that's that's not a bad thing. Um, but that that makes us, again, consider how all of this is a wisdom issue. Uh, we need not put our heads in the, in the dirt, our heads in the sand, face in the sand, whatever the saying is. We need to, yeah. we need to, to think about this wisely, realizing that there's going to be a vast array of variables for each couple. Uh, maybe pregnancies are very, very hard for the wife, yeah. and it's destructive to her body. Uh, that's something that needs to be considered. I have friends personally who have two children, and their children have been very, very sick in their first few years. One has been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. a very, very rare autoimmune disease. So um, there are genetic things there. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. so they have decided to stop after two yeah. because they have been making constant trips for two years now uh, up and down California to different hospitals, and it has been very difficult on their physical health, not getting mm-hmm. a lot of sleep, mm-hmm. um, and on their finances. And so I I don't blame them personally for stopping at two. two it's wise is, to stop at two, in, yeah. maybe in their case. And yeah. maybe in the future, yeah. maybe they can adopt. I don't know what they're thinking there, but uh, they're done for now. And I don't think that that's wrong. And so there's all sorts of these kinds of variables yeah. that we, we can never just prescribe something with a blanket statement as pastors. The Bible does not do it, so we cannot either. Uh, but it's definitely something to consider for the sake of the church, for the sake of the future, and for the sake of God's glory. I think Christians do need to think about it with yeah. a lot of seriousness and gravity. Yeah, and so um, it'll be interesting if anybody has thoughts to uh, to bounce back to us and um, and so we we thank you for listening for uh, to the, this yeah, podcast. It's uh, it's one that is uh, kind of more conversational of a topic and very practical, but also I, I think the whole point is we want people to think theologically about having children. Hmm. Um, that sounds kind of cold and <laughs> and uh, too academic, maybe. But it's it, it's just like my um, my high school Sunday school class where we just talked about thinking theologically about using your phone. So yeah. we spent six weeks on how 12 ways your phone is changing you in all kinds of philosophical and theological ways. We're trying to do the same thing here with this family planning question is instead of just going with the world's catechism, um, let's, let's go with the scriptures and with good theology. Let's stand on the shoulders of theological giants and understand this in a, in a deeper way than what is being presented to us by um, Hollywood or hmm. um, other secular sources. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter, exactly. So, all right. Well, uh, hopefully we've been a blessing to you today, and you can now go and be a blessing to other people. Amen. And uh, thank you for listening to Reform Podmatics, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Yep. Grace and peace, you guys.